You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, winner of the Share Care Emmy Award for Social Storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie. And with some of the most kind comments that I've gotten throughout the years of some of the work that I've done is that people said, hey, Rick, I really appreciate the queuing videos that you've done, the exercise queuing videos. Well, if you are one of those people that really like the queuing videos, boy, do I have a treat for you. Uh, I have one of the guys that has done some research, incredible research on queuing, and I'm very, very delighted to have him on the show. Welcome my guest today, Nick Winkleman. Hey, what's up, Nick? How you doing? Good, my man. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Man, it's great to have you. I want to tell you, um, just a side note for for us here, is uh, you made my job really easy because <laughs> I was a peer reviewer for one of the chapters that you've written in uh, NASM's Performance Enhancement textbook. And I was like, okay. uh, I don't know. I, I mean, it was good. <laughs> I didn't have much to say. <laughs> I know. I noticed that. I was like, did I just bore this person to death that they couldn't provide any feedback? You know, or was it just that brilliant? So, I mean, here, here he is, the man himself, able to give me the final word. Hey, I, th- I think it was that brilliant. It was that brilliant. Oh. So do us a favor, do <laughs> the you. audience a favor, introduce yourself a little bit about your background, and then I want to get into to talking about some of the, the specifics here. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've been a strength conditioning coach now for, gosh, 20 years. Um, my career is probably on chapter two right now. The first 10 years of it was spent at a place called Exos, running our NFL combine development program, working with elite military, NFL, and a whole variety of athletes, as well as running a pretty big coach education department. And now I'm coming up on seven years as the head of athletic performance and science for Irish rugby. So I took the took the trip across the pond and now we live in Ireland. And I, I would say the common thread in the last 20 years is this just unrelenting passion for looking at the interaction between the coach and the athlete, the space between what we say, what they hear, and how they're able to apply it. And so the the, the red thread is just language and how we can communicate to optimize the way someone moves and shows up in their movement. So talk us through that a little bit then, Nick, because we we use language a lot. I mean, we use we use uh, uh, visual cues. We we have a lot of different yeah. cueing techniques. What what are some of the big takeaways when it comes to cueing? Not that our clients receive, because once we know that our clients can receive things better, then we can start adjusting what we do to help support them. A hundred percent. So I think the best way. Uh, at least the best way I know to answer that question right now is think of it from the client's perspective, from a first person perspective, even I'm sure everyone listening or watching this can put themselves into the headspace of performing a movement, pick your favorite movement. It doesn't matter. And what I think every single one of us can recognize is we have an experience of the movement. We have intention while we're performing the movement. We are aware of things either that we are trying to do or things that are happening to us. And so we have this experience while we move and we know there is an interaction between this experience, what we think and the movement that shows up. Ultimately, what a coach is trying to do is to help an athlete, a client, a patient move better. But you have to pass through 
and interact with that client experience, right? You have to interact with their awareness of themselves while they are performing the movement. And so ultimately there are many ways to do that. We can do that with a verbal cue, Rick, as you've been talking about. We can use a nonverbal constraint like a mini band around the knees or possibly having them hold a dowel on the back of their body while they're doing something for postural alignment. So we know we have various tools, but in all cases, we are trying to change the way the person experiences the movement and thus the way they perform it. And so the, the central focus for my work has been helping coaches to understand how language and thus ultimately the intentions and the thoughts of a person while they perform a movement, how they interact with the movement itself. And we now know there's, there's easily over two decades of research that clearly outlines not rules, but mm. principles about which you can lean on to get to, as I like to say, the words that work, that provide you with guidelines around the kind of language and the kind of thoughts that ultimately lead to better movement performance. These can either come from the coach or even better, collaboration with the client in their creation. And so we could talk a lot more about it, but ultimately it's improving the mental headspace of the person while they move such that they move and learn how to move better. Love it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Nick Winkleman and uh, he's, he's on our show. We're talking a little bit about cueing because that's kind of a, a strong suit of his that, that he's written a lot about. I want to ask you a couple of things. One, there's several things that, oh, this is why I want more time, right? So there's so <laughs> many directions that we could go here. You talked about constraints, um, but you did mention some principles. And I think yes. that that any principles that you have, what are some good anchors for us as movement professionals, as fitness yeah. professionals? What are some principles that we may want to start assimilating and say, okay, well, this is something that I, I heard on the NASM CPT podcast, Nick Winkleman talked about. I'm going to start trying to implement a principle, which, you know, the principle then allows for a lot of variation. The principle is the outline and you get to color it the way you want. So what are some of those? Beautifully put, Rick. So let's use a live action example that I love to share when I'm asked this question. So uh, I want everyone who's listening or watching to imagine that they walk into, let's say, uh, a Vegas casino, maybe the MGM, and you see this big old sign that says, let's make a bet. And so you're intrigued, you walk in, and you see the MGM grand version of a 10 yard sprint track. Let's say there's another 10 yards of runoff. You're like, oh, I'm an athletic coach. I'm a personal trainer. What's this about? And so you walk over to the attendant and you say, hey, wh what's the bet? They're like, oh, it's really, really simple. We're going to give you three different coaching cues and you're going to run three 10 yard sprints. And your job is to simply bet on which of these coaching cues is going to help you run the fastest 10 yard sprint. Now we can assume there's a little bit of physiological magic here where you have plenty of recovery and you're only focusing on one cue at a time and you purely focus on it. So, so give me that. And so here, here's the cue card and you have a look. And so you read the first cue and the first cue to help you run a fast 10 yard sprint is, Hey, focus on rapidly extending your knees. So you're an athletics coach, you recognize, okay, rapidly extend your knees, I'm trying to move my legs fast, and you kind of run it through your mental simulator. You imagine as that first person what that would feel like. They rapidly extend my knees. And so you have now a perception of what that's gonna feel like and the outcome you're gonna get. You then read the next cue. 
Okay, focus on rapidly pushing the ground away. Rapidly pushing the ground away. So again, you close your eyes. Like, okay, it's similar, but it's a little bit different. And you feel the sense of pushing the ground away. Now, already for the listener, I guarantee they've made an assessment of which they are betting on, A versus B. But now I offer you a third and a final cue. I say, I want you to imagine there is a rattlesnake one foot behind you, just behind you, curled up, ready to bite. I want you to beat the bite. Beat the bite. So again, you close your eyes. You imagine if you're like me and you don't like snakes, you get a little bit of an emotional <laughs> charge and you make your bet. Now, Interestingly enough, Rick, I've done a research uh, paper on this that we're still writing up. And what we find is easily 80% of individuals are going to choose either B or C. They're either going to focus on pushing the ground away or using this emotive visual cue that promotes pushing the ground away that comes through the analogy of beating the bite and the visual and the representation of a snake in the mind's eye. And so what ultimately we're pointing to here from a principal perspective is when we offer language, we want to offer language that anchors the client or the athlete or the patient to the physical environment, to the outcome they are trying to perform, right? To the interaction with the physical environment they need to engage with to achieve the outcome. And so if we understand biomechanically, we need triple extension, hip, knee, and ankle. And we want, yes, rapid knee extension. We have to recognize that the knees are not the only thing in this case involved in sprinting. But if I say push the ground away, that brings oneness. Just as there's one conductor, nice. right? There's one cue. And it brings about the symphony of musicians in the same way we bring about the symphony of joints and muscles. So what we call here is an external cue. It brings the oneness of the body into centration on a single external outside of the body focus that is tightly anchored to the underpinning biomechanics we know and love as the professional. When you then bring about the snake, the analogy, it adds then an emotion, a feel, an energy, such that I'm not only encouraging the pushing of the ground away, but the nature with which I push the ground away has the venom and the veracity as if there is something to harm me, which in this case promotes extension, power, and speed. And so the principle then is an external focus or an analogy, a visual that promotes an external focus, even if it's figurative. These consistently outperform internal cues when it comes to immediate performance, learning, and transfer by a significant margin. So external cues before they move. And the question your audience is going to ask, Rick, is, oh, are you saying we can never use internal language again? No, absolutely. <laughs> Use internal language, talk about the body, explain the body, but the last thought that enters the mind, the passenger in the car of the mind, the conductor driving the wholeness of the body comes through the lens and the essence of an external cue. Oh, Nick Winkleman, this is really good. I, I, the very first thing I have on my, my list of questions is, uh, what, how do we address the internal versus external cues? And, and we get this a lot in fitness, Nick. I, you probably know this. Like We might be working with somebody and we'll have them do a floor bridge or a glute bridge, and they may feel that more in their hamstrings. And so we might yeah. use those internal cues to squeeze the glutes, right? So mm -hmm. something that starts to, to get some type of muscle activation in there. But there's yeah. a difference, what you're saying, between 
maybe like priming a muscle and the performance uh, or the output in a performance goal? Yeah, I think you're you're 100% right. I mean, ultimately, we can use internal language to explain. We can use internal language to, to clarify. Ultimately, Rick, what internal language is doing is it provides us a way to share with the client what to do, right? You should feel your glutes. Your hips should extend, right? Your knees should flex. Your heels should be pressed into the ground. But how often do we experience both as the client and the coach, a person or experiencing this ourselves of, I know what to do. I can even describe what to do, but I don't know how to do it. This is the critical move we are making when we shift the last thing we say from primarily being internal to primarily being external. So in your case of the glute bridge, I would say, we want you to feel this in your glutes. And even for the first couple reps, you might focus on squeezing your glutes. But ultimately what I want you to think about doing is from shoulder to knee, imagine you are a rubber band or a chain, take the slack out of the chain, stretch through the rubber band. Or I want you to imagine that your knees are headlights. I want you to point those headlights at the wall or imagine their lasers. What I'm trying to do is recognize that the glutes are not the only thing involved even in a glute bridge. So how do I bring back the oneness of the movement via language? Recognizing Rick that language is always incomplete. Language is not a proxy nor a replacement for lived reality. We can never forget that. And so the more my language brings you back literally into contact with the environment, via the task, the better and more authentic the movement performance and learning will be. So for the audience, yeah. as we're coming here to the end, it is not an or internal versus external. It's an and. What I would encourage everyone to do, though, is think of the order of operations. You would never do Olympic lifting after you've run a marathon. So don't provide internal cueing after you've provided external cueing. Use your internal cueing to describe right? Use your external cueing to cue. Protect the moment before the movement for an external cue or an analogy that promotes an external focus. Oh, Nick, this is so good. And the imagery that you used was so brilliant. I loved all the, the, <laughs> yeah, uh, the headlights and the lasers and stuff like that, especially if you're working with athletes, that kind of stuff, yeah. I think probably dials in with those, uh, those guys a little bit more. Uh, there are a couple of things I wanted to ask and wanted to talk about, including uh, exploration of movement and self-organization and how cueing fits in there. But you brought up something earlier called constraints. And yeah. Nick, it seems like we are currently constrained with time. So <laughs> uh, I would love to have you back on the show and explore some more of these uh, these principles, these motor learning principles, how we make application and how we can use our language to get more out of our clients. So, uh, you know, I'd love to have you back on and explore this a little bit more. Let's do it, Rick. I'd love to. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, do you have uh, maybe a social or something if people yeah. wanted to follow you or reach out to you that they could yeah. do that? Absolutely. On socials, it's all at Nick Winkleman. Uh, my my book that that uh, has all this embedded within it is The Language of Coaching. And anyone who wants to uh, either access the book and or access all the free open source videos I have on the book and the tutorials, it's thelanguageofcoaching.com. 
Fantastic. Nick, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks to everybody who uh, who's listening. You can always reach out and make some requests. So you can reach out to me at dr.rickritchie or you can email me at rick.ritchie at nasm.org. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.